0: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 13th November 2020. This is Ian Haydock. Coronavirus vaccine results dominate this week, along with a failed deal in IPF and yet another setback in the Alzheimer's field. Pfizer and BioNTech have announced what the world has been waiting for. Positive interim phase 3 results for their mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccine BNT162B2, suggesting that it is 90% effective in preventing infection. While full data have yet to be published, the top line result is a huge step forward in the fight against COVID-19, and looks to be compelling enough to secure regulatory approval which the companies said they will file for after the third week of November. While questions remain, particularly over the super cold chain needed for distribution, global stocks jumped on the news. China and Russia have already granted emergency approval for their own COVID-19 vaccines, but this is the first time that any candidate has produced data from a Phase 3 efficacy trial. Andrew McConkey writes that the analysis was based on 94 patients showing symptoms of infection in the trial of 43,538 participants and indicated an efficacy rate above 90% at seven days after the second dose. This means that protection is achieved 28 days after the initiation of the vaccination, which consists of a two-dose schedule. The 90% rate is much higher than the 50% mark that the US FDA had stipulated as a minimum, although the companies noted that as the study continues, the final efficacy percentage may change. Andrew writes in another article on the results that these are set to be a breakthrough for the German firm BioNTech as well as the world. BioNTech's stock rose 23% to a high of $114 on the news, and its market capitalisation now stands at about $26.8 billion, although this is still behind the $30 billion built up this year by Moderna, the US biotech developing the other mRNA COVID-19 vaccine frontrunner, mRNA-1273. BioNTech released its Q3 figures the day after the vaccine results, where it outlined the expected impact of the success on its business performance and its R&D plans. It had already raised $325 million in July last year in one of the largest ever private financing rounds for a European biotech company. And it followed that with $150 million NASDAQ IPO a few months later. Its COVID-19 vaccine will catapult the company onto a much bigger stage. All the same, BioNTech's co-founder Ugur Sahin told analysts on the Q3 call that we truly believe that if we are successful, we will have an extraordinary opportunity not only to impact this pandemic on a global scale, but also to accelerate our long-term vision for a next-generation immunotherapy pharmaceutical company. The Pfizer-BioNTech partnership on the COVID-19 vaccine is a 50-50 profit share, although what profits the companies will make from the product priced at about $19.50 per dose are as yet unclear. With expectations soaring that a COVID-19 vaccine is now within reach, Sanofi CEO Paul Hudson has stressed that no one company will be able to make enough vaccine to be able to solve the challenges the world faces. Hudson was speaking at the Financial Times Global Pharmaceuticals and Biotechnology Conference on 9th November and made his comments literally minutes before the news of the Pfizer BioNTech data. He responded to a question about whether it was a source of regret that Sanofi does not have one of the front-runners in the race to find an effective vaccine by saying, not at all, quite the opposite, adding that it's not a race between companies, it's a race against an enemy, a virus. Some companies and universities had studies ongoing into SARS vaccines, so they were on the bench doing that work live when this thing hit, Hudson noted, while Sanofi was pursuing many other breakthrough vaccines in different areas. However, while other firms initially said the first vaccines could arrive in August, as yet, we still don't have a vaccine as we approach Christmas, and consequently, we've narrowed the gap, Hudson said. Kevin Grogan writes that Sanofi is working on a candidate based on its recombinant protein-based or baculovirus technology, and uses GSK's adjuvant, and data from a phase one, two trial are expected at the end of this month. If all goes well, we start phase three in December, and we'll be there in the middle of next year, Hudson said. The company is also developing an mRNA coronavirus vaccine. Hudson said that this could be one of those situations where we're a little bit later, but we are using a platform that is the only platform that has had an approved vaccine launched on it. Bridge Biotherapeutics and Boeing Ingelheim have agreed to terminate an agreement reached in July 2019 to develop BBT-877, a small molecule inhibitor of autotaxin, for the treatment of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and various other fibrotic diseases. Jungwon Shin writes that the decision is a setback for both companies, as the South Korean biotech will now have to determine the fate of its lead asset, while the big German multinational may have to seek other ways to beef up its IPF pipeline to maintain its leading position in the field. Bridge said that Boehringer had decided to end the partnership in line with internal guidelines amid concerns over the potential toxicity of BBT-877. As a result, Bridge will regain all rights and retain upfront and near-term milestone payments of about €45 million or about $53 million. Bridge Biotherapeutics is committed to further develop BBT-877 to benefit patients with IPF. We will closely work with regulatory authorities to clarify future development plans and necessary studies to initiate human trials in the future, CEO James Lee said. The news came after an earlier delay in Phase 2 trials with the molecule, since the two firms reached the license agreement, which was potentially worth more than $1.2 billion. BBT877 was set to move into a Phase 2 global study after completing a Phase 1 programme in the US. The drug was originally discovered by South Korea's Legocem Biosciences, but has been under development as Bridges' lead asset since the company acquired exclusive worldwide rights in 2017. It acts to deregulate ATX, an enzyme involved in inflammation and fibrosis, through the generation of a lipid signaling molecule. The termination leaves Boringa with just a single Phase 1 pipeline candidate in development for IPF, bi 1015550 in comparison BMS has three assets in development while Galapagos also has two under its big R&D alliance with Gilead. The IPF market currently has two main marketed drugs, Perfenidone which was first approved back in 2008 and Ringer's Nintedanib, which was approved in 2015. Finally Jessica Merrill reports that the US FDA Advisory Committee review of Biogen's high-profile Alzheimer's drug aducanumab, did not go the way the company was hoping, or some investors were expecting. Panelists on the committee, which met virtually on 6th November, voted that the available data does not support the efficacy of aducanumab for the treatment of the disease. The members also voiced scepticism about the favourable light in which the FDA had presented the data in briefing documents released ahead of the meeting briefing package, in which the FDA revealed it worked closely with Biogen on the regulatory filing and agreed with much of Biogen's assumption on the efficacy of the drug, unleashed investor enthusiasm for a swift approval. Investors and the Alzheimer's community have been closely watching the development of aducanumab, which could be the first disease-modifying drug approved for the disease and the first novel drug for any Alzheimer's indications since 2003. But the mixed-efficacy data including only a single positive phase 3 trial, a second failed phase 3 trial, and a confusing pooled futility analysis that ultimately led the trials to be stopped in 2019, all confounded the panel. The FDA's position was that the successful Emerge 302 trial could stand on its own as pivotal efficacy evidence, and that Engage 301 could be disregarded. The panellists widely disagreed with the notion that one trial could simply be disregarded and also took issue with how favourably the FDA had presented the data in the briefing documents. That's all for this week, many thanks for listening, don't forget to sign up, sign on and set up to receive these full stories in full and much more digital content. Also join us for a discussion of the biopharm impact of the US election as part of the FDA CMS Summit on December 7th to 9th, for which registration is now open. There's a link in the script story accompanying this podcast, which also has links to the full articles mentioned in the podcast. Bye for now.